0: Some years ago, I was at New Wine, and it was that middle day where they let you off-site, you know, for good behavior. You've been there for a few days. Maybe it's been raining a little bit, and they let you go to the local swimming pool instead of turning up to seminars and go and wash yourself or, or some other thing. We'd been out for the day, probably seeing grandparents, and we're driving back in and had the New Wine radio on because the, the radio goes right around the site. And on the radio, the main speaker in the main venue was starting to speak, and it was a lady called Heidi Baker. Anyone ever heard of Heidi Baker? She's uh, she's a um, very, very bright person uh, out in uh, Mozambique, working with uh, in one of the three or four most poor contexts in the whole world. And she was over here, and she's hugely in demand for these sort of festivals and things. People uh, have you know long queues to try and get her to turn up, um, partly because in the ministry that her and her husband have been involved in, they've planted sort of around 800 churches in the last 10 years or so, which is not too bad going, is it? Uh, and they've also seen just some extraordinary miracles, including people being raised from the dead, um, on a, you know, at least an annual basis. So some huge, um, tangible things where you see people who are blind turning up at meetings and stop being blind uh, by the end of the meeting. And uh, one that we shared with uh, the Sunday school a while ago is of children praying for people and then being healed um, dramatically. So it's not through her at all. It's just a, it's this sort of thing that's happening in the midst of abject poverty in the poorest place, give or take, in the world. God turning up and, and through this person doing things. So she gets lots of these invitations to come and tell the stories to entertain middle-class Christians on campsites. Um, and normally she turns them down because she's got more to do in her life than entertain middle-class Christians on campsites. And um, she felt that God said, um, yes. Uh, to come this time and she said I'm uh, um, so um, but she had this sort of anguish in her Like I, I'm, I think she, she's, she's quite freaky so she was probably on her knees by this point sort of slightly moving around and groaning and if you've ever heard her speak it really freaked Chris out when he heard her before I remember um, so she's doing all this sort of stuff and actually what's, what's going on is she's, she's sort of wrestling in herself because she knows that what she's going to bring um, could be a huge blessing to people but it could also completely break them. Because do you know, if you follow Jesus around the way that Jesus did things, it always breaks you. It broke him. We've just done him dying on a cross after just three years. And it breaks and reshapes us as well. So she was there and doing this stuff and we were driving him. Um, And I just suddenly have this urgency to um, to go to the main meeting. So i I'm like, Nick, It's before we had kids, I'm, I'm going into the main meeting, She's, so she sort of goes and does her stuff. I go into the main meeting and go and respond uh, at the front of the talk, and someone prays for me, and I just have this sense, I've got to get out to India. Now this is a big deal, because we, Nick and I had been to India um, not long before this. She'd spent a year out in North India, and, um, and had an amazing time, and then we'd gone back together as a newly married couple uh, at Easter Year on our anniversary, our paper anniversary, first anniversary, was a plane ticket to India. A romantic. Um, and we get there, and of course, she gets deli Belly, and then she gets campolibacter, which is horrible food poisoning. Uh, and she also gets a, an unknown disease and illness while we're there. Um, and it takes sort of three months to recover from the unknown illness, which people think are cancer or leukemia or all sorts of horrible things. I'm nearly not able to go and do the job that I'm supposed to do because the church is saying you can't move city, um, and, and Nick nearly dying. Turns out she's got something called hepatitis E. Um, it's raining money on the front row. Right? That's, <laughs> that's good news. Um, and, and, and so, for us to go back to this place where Nicola has been so ill is going to take a huge thing uh, for me to say. Actually, we're going to go back into the um, what felt like danger zone. Um, we came back and, and we spoke to our missionary friends in India, who Nicola worked with and lived with. Um, and we say, look, um, um, we're thinking of going. They said, well, that's really strange because we've got an Indian pastor who would love, know, love to come to England and you know, we'd, we'd love to send him over to you. And that was uh, Charles who was here a year ago, if you, if you remember. Um, Charles, the Indian pastor, was here and preached around Easter time. So he came to England, to Wolverhampton, where we were, and did six weeks with us. In the middle of that, we spent two weeks in India and went and taught his uh, his interns, his discipleship school, that sort of thing, uh, and taught well, the stuff that we knew well, which was uh, you know Bible teaching and that sort of thing. Uh, and he helped our church move on in worship and in small groups and it's had this most incredible thing. And it was just this lovely coming together of being open and available, um, a sort of a prophetic-y thing that happened that enabled it to happen and circumstantial stuff moves us on. Jesus in this story is... Deeply moved. I mean, he's groaning. The, the phrase behind the deeply moved when he goes to uh, see the grave of Lazarus is pretty much a description of what Heidi Baker was doing in, in that talk. Deeply moved. It's, it's a sort of gut-wrenching thing. Um, and I don't know about you, but compassion seems to be something that gets knocked out of us, left, right, and center. Um, I have got huge barriers up to compassion all the time. <laughs> Partly it's self-protection, isn't it? Because there are a lot of needy people out there Uh, You know, just probably the person sitting next to you if you're in the front row, Dennis. There's lots of needy people around who who need need your help and attention. Um, (laughs) um, But to get through life, um, you you can sort of squash yourself in and make yourself smaller and make your world smaller and go, okay, it's just going to be about me or my family unit or my people closest to me and protect yourself. Or you can do the exact opposite and say, actually, God, I'm available for whoever, wherever, whenever, for however long you ask me to do it. And then the possibilities and the potential are enormous. One of the things I used to love doing when I did schools work was to go and talk to 16-year-olds and say um, something like, um, who do you admire in life? Um, and almost without exception, it would come back. Either there was the, um, the cheesy kid who'd go, my mum, um, which uh, you know, can be a great answer. Um, Daryl, it's, it's a good answer. Um, or um, it was Nelson Mandela or it was Mother Teresa or something like that. But then if you ask the follow-on question, what are you going to do with your life? More often than not, the answer was something around playing it safe. So in other words, as we start out in our life journeys, very often we're not actually starting out with any intention of being someone that we even admire. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Doesn't that just make you go, what's, what's going on there? Of course there's a certain logic to you know, building things up, sensibly sense of being carefully and all that sort of thing. It's quite exciting to be at least slightly excited <laughs> by what might happen from what you put yourself on the line for jesus puts himself on the line for lazarus in an extraordinary way here and i, I want to run you through some teaching on on lazarus which has uh, opened my horizons to him a lot it's in the in the study notes if who got study notes coming in anyone not got these coming in um there's a there's a whole load on top of the bibles there mark and dennis will pass them around if you want just stick your hands up um and, and the idea in the story of Lazarus, which was so beautifully done as a children's cartoon for us at the beginning of the service, um, was uh, is often that he's just one of Jesus' mates and he dies. But Jean Vanier, who was the founder of a, one of these extraordinary life-changing communities which work with people with huge learning difficulties, um, imagined what if Lazarus wasn't just you know the mate down the pub? What if there was something about him that explains why he was a, a grown-up man in a, in a Middle Eastern culture living with his two sisters and his two sisters do all the talking for him? What if he was someone with either very long-term sickness or extreme disability? What if that explains why he's doing this role that he is in the story? In that case, when you look at Lazarus, he has almost no value to someone who just wants their own life to get better. He's just someone with learning difficulties, additional needs, or long-term sick. And now he's dead, he hasn't got any value whatsoever at all. Jesus gets completely out of his way Pauses for two days, and the, the, uh, the reason for that is so that he can be totally proved to be completely dead, because in some Jewish ideas, you could be resuscitated after three days. If you've gone through the three days, that's it. So he's four days dead. Jesus gets to Lazarus, um, is deeply moved, sees all the people around him, uh, has some conversation about resurrection. And then goes, Lazarus, come forth. And a, a dead man walks out of a tomb. And because a dead man walks out of the tomb, Jesus is now in loads of trouble (laughs) because he's shown a whole load of power that isn't the regular power and people are going to try and kill him for it. Uh, They're going to try and kill him and indeed they are able to kill him just a, a few weeks later. Lazarus, someone who seems to have almost no value, is given great value by Jesus And there are two ways of looking at this, I think. One is the one that Justin Welby does, which is explained in in the study notes as as we go through. And the other one is how much do you value what you do and how much do you value who you are when when you look at yourself? Um, Justin Welby in his notes says that there are lots of people out there who seem to have almost no value and Jesus puts himself out there for them. Pretty easy one to go for, isn't it? You know, who, who have we ignored this week? And there's lots of questions on the study notes that you can think of. You know, the, the kid who's getting bullied, the, uh, the geek in the class, the person who's struggling, the person who's outside begging, the person who's, who's dying, who's in their 90s that no one wants to go and see. You know, how have we put ourselves out there for them? And you can fill in the blank for yourself. You know, who, who are the people who seem to have no value that Jesus would care about? But I guess the one that might get us towards helping them is to answer the second question. What do you see when you look at yourself in the mirror? Now, this isn't an American self-help thing where you go, I'm a wonderful human being today. But do you see someone who is loved by God and capable of bringing transformation in the circumstances that you go through? I was talking about this uh, earlier on today, and um, some people came up after different services and said, thank you so much for talking about the life places and the workplaces that I work in, that they might have value, that it might make a difference, that the way that I go on my morning commute, the way I relate to my colleagues, if I'm creating employment for people, the way that I create employment for people, uh, the way that I, I, I make the whole community feel, where I live or where I work or where I study. This is part of our value. And when you see yourself, do you value it? Do you think, wow, here's someone with a mission from God to make a difference? Because thank goodness we can't and we're not all supposed to be in church leadership or missionaries abroad or um, primary school teachers or whatever might be seen to be a vocational thing or nurses. We're, we're actually into into so many different things, aren't we? And wherever you are, if you can see that you have value... You can add worth to people around you. I wonder how Lazarus would have seen himself after Jesus raised him from the dead. And the story changes. And Lazarus is there as someone with perhaps no economic value, dead, who suddenly becomes the epicenter of one of the greatest stories ever written, the Gospel of John. If you know John's Gospel, is divided into seven miracles and seven I Am sayings lazarus is the climax it's the greatest miracle so far it begins with a silly trick with water and wine at a wedding and ends with a man being raised from the dead after four days in a tomb lazarus is the climax of that whole story of jesus life in john's gospel and that probably millions and millions of people have come to faith because lazarus got sick and died and got raised again what you see you value how do you value yourself I told this story this morning, and maybe it'll help you as well. It's the story of the water jars. Have you heard it? There's an Indian uh, lady who's carrying water to um, her home from the, the well, a long way away. And she has two jars, one on, over each shoulder on a, on a beam. One of the jars is, is a clay jar. It's cracked to halfway. And she fills them both with water and walks home to the village but by the time she gets home, one of them is half full, because it's one of those sort of stories, the water jars talk to each other. Uh, and water jar uh, uh, B says to water jar, i um, I'm useless, I'm rubbish, I'm cracked, the water just leaks out of me on the way, our poor mistress, she's carried us all this way, and all she's got to show for my effort is half a jar full, uh, she's going to have to go back regularly and regularly What a shame. Water Jar A says, did you not see what she's been doing these past few months? Several months ago, she planted some seeds along the route when she was really depressed by her role in life. And as we've been walking back each day, the water from your jar has brought life to those seeds. And now there's flowers along the path on the way back. And that's what causes her to walk along with a smile on her face and to get through her day. Her life was in a dead place, despondent. But through a cracked jar, she's now been able to put a smile on her face and keep going. I wonder how often in our lives or in our lifetimes we will or do now feel like a cracked jar. If you've never had to deal with that experience so far, um, chances are you will at some point in your life. But you look in yourself and think, I'm not the person that I, I wished I might be, or that I could be. But sometimes, or probably in the kingdom, almost always, when you're weak, that's where God gets to be strongest. Where you've got cracks in you, that's the opportunity for him. When you're Lazarus, he gets to be Jesus to you. When you're dead, you can come alive in his mercy and in his grace. So here we are, we're in the great story of Lazarus, the raising of the dead. What do you see? And hence, what do you value? Do you see yourself a cracked flower pot? Do you see yourself as wonderful? You might see yourself as an amazing human being. Um, That's probably good if if you do, to some degree. But if you see yourself a bit cracked... Learn to value yourself. If you see your journey at the moment as not what you want it to be, maybe there's something that God wants to do in your circumstances, and not in a new circumstances, but in the circumstance you're in, and get on with that and see what can happen. If you're working your way through exams or A-levels or into degrees, uh, it's so tempting to imagine there's some wonderful, brilliant thing elsewhere. Some of it is just pressing on and getting the thing done. But as you get it done, if you carry Jesus around with you, undoubtedly it will have an impact on people around you and make uh, all the difference to people there. So what we see, we value. Do we see the poor, the needy, the people around us who need valuing? And do we see ourselves as people with the potential to make a difference to them, to bring hope and help as much as we need it ourselves to begin with? This term, we're picking up on two massive things in our culture. This is the first of them. is, uh, is what uh, Justin Welby calls mammon. Um, mammon is the way that we use money and riches and wealth and the economy um, almost sort of to control people and hold people down. Uh, on the notes, he uh, sums it this way. It's the name given by Jesus to the force that holds power over people through economics, money, and flow of finances. In so many human crises, money plays a part. Debt and desire for things enslave many people I know and draw them into lives that are in service of mammon, a master they neither choose nor want, but who tricks them by playing on insecurities, on good intentions, and on reasonable ambitions. Instead of going for the thing that we really admire, at some point we hold up a flag to mammon and say, actually, you win. All sort of shaky. And so much of our culture here uh, in London comes under the influence of this particular, what well, the Old Testament calls a God, the God of mammon. And Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon. You can only have one master in life. You can be rich and serve God, but you have to be careful who's controlling you. Is it controlling you or are you using it for the kingdom? You can have great wealth and be great in God's kingdom. Um, But is it controlling you, or are you reflectively using it for God's glory? And that's the first thing we're going to be picking up on this term. And then we're going to go for the other jugular, um, the other big Old Testament God, who is uh, still alive and rampant and destroying many a life, the God of Baal. Um, Baal in the Old Testament was the fertility God. I'm picking up on, on all the things about relationships, sex, sexuality, um, porn, all those things, and we'll be doing that towards the end of term. And this is, a, this is a big term then in the life of our community because if we could get to the end of July and have really thought through how we think about money, our career, ambition, hope, and also really thought through how we see our bodies, how God sees our body, how God sees the church as well. And if we were free... Uh, from cultural influences to be all that God's made us to be, free to really enjoy him, free to have our full humanity by the end of July, I think our community could be extraordinarily transformed because the pressure's on, isn't it, to conform to everyone around you. I'm, as you know, a TV addict (laughs) and I'm just blown away by the number of messages I allow land in my brain all the time about all of these issues. What would it be like if I remembered back to that crazy lady, missionary in Africa, kneeling down, going, I'm glad that I can be here because what I'm going to do is going to challenge you to the core. But if you get the challenge, uh, you'll never be the same again. And if you're never the same again, the kingdom of God will come more and more. What would it be like? if I got to the stage where I could look her in the eye and go, yes, hide, because we're like that, hide, um, we're going for it here in London as well. Um, Lives are being set free around us. People who used to be controlled by how other people see them are free from that now. People who have been caught in eating disorders are eating freely again. People who had no self-esteem have realized that even if they feel like a broken flower pot, a broken flower pot has immense value in God's economy. People who thought that they had to get their nest egg of money just so right before they could have anything in life have suddenly been liberated in extraordinary generosity and grace and are finding that as they let go of holding on to their life, God's flowing good things back into them as well. Can you imagine a Christian community? And we are already a a lovely community. And God's been doing so much in all of our lives and journeys together. Can you imagine us free from Baal? And free from Mammon? What an extraordinary place that can be. An extraordinary freedom God wants to lead us into. Maybe that we're like Lazarus now, lying in a tomb thinking, I've given in, I've been controlled, I'm dead. Friends, if you feel like that ever, that's just such a great place to start from. Because dead things come alive again when Jesus is around. It's just what happens. If you ever feel dead spiritually, and you can own up to him, the chances are you're about to come alive. Because when Jesus walks along, And he sees a dead person. He says, come forth, come forth. And you become a brand new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God, you get to stand. That's where I'm going to leave us today. um, Dennis and Stephen and the band take us home. Lovely to be with you today. Dead things come alive.